Okay, so tonight we're going to look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to actually be reading from the King James Version, which is very unlike me. Um, the reason I'm going to be reading from the King James Version is because I want you to see something uh, about this verse. So when you look at all the different translations, sometimes you read it and they seem like the same verse in different translations. Part of the verse can be very different. And the reason for that is it's actually up to the translator to make a decision. And sometimes um, there's more than one way to translate particular phrases or words. So we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 tonight, and we're, the topic is uh, waging war with prophetic promises. Okay. Paul, the great apostle, is speaking to his spiritual son, his son in the faith, Timothy, and this is what he says to him. This charge I commit unto thee, Timothy, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. How many talk like that every day? Okay. All right. So we'll We'll actually unpack this as tonight. We're going to actually go through this. And we're just going to look at this one verse. And from this one verse, the Lord actually gives us the principles, the keys, how to unlock our prophetic destiny and how to see promises come to pass. And when we say prophetic, what do we mean? We mean that God, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of prophecy. And what that means is that God knows what he wants to happen in our lives. He has a plan. You know, the Bible says that repeatedly, right? God has something in in store for our lives. He has a plan. And he wants us to experience those promises in order to see that plan come to pass. So that's what we're talking about. All right. It's very clear, and I'm just going to go through this quickly. In the Bible, and I'm just looking at three New Testament scriptures here, that the will of the Father is that we would experience the fulfillment of all his promises. How many promises are there in the Bible? Wow. There are many, many promises. And God says here in um, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, They are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen? So no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. What does that mean? It means that Christ, by coming and dying on the cross, he actually became the mediator of a new covenant. And a covenant is an agreement, and it's what in the um, ancient Times it was known as the Caesarean Covenant, which means the greater party set the terms. Who do you think the greater party is in the covenant? All right. So the terms were set by God. It's not like we drew up this kind of a peace treaty uh, and we said, hey, God, we don't really like that. But if you will, you know, do, do something in our behalf here. Um, and God said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll compromise here. We'll, we'll do that. That's not the way it worked. God says, here's my covenant. It's my covenant these are the terms of my covenant. And if you will obey my covenant, if you will, if you will live uh, in, in a place of um, compliance to my covenant, you're going to see my promises come to pass. So those promises are all yes. They're yes. Every promise God made in his covenant is yes 
Come on. And they're yes in Christ. So if we're in Christ, then those promises are relevant to us, and they are for us to experience. And so we say amen, which means let it be. I come into agreement with it. This is what I want. Let it happen. And when we do that, it actually glorifies God. I love what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, two verses here, uh, three verses actually. John 14, verse 13, he says, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. To ask in Jesus' name means we're asking, not just tacking on the end of our prayer in Jesus' name. That's not what it means. To ask in Jesus' name means we're doing it in his authority. And it's because of who he is, what he did at the cross, that it's ours. I just love the fact that, guys, we can say, well, I've been a really good Christian this week. I mean, I've really behaved myself. I've prayed. I've read the Bible. And I haven't sinned or I haven't done too many sins, whatever. And we, we look at that and we go, therefore, God's going to answer my prayers. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. So what that means is that it's his righteousness. Of course, we should be obedient. Of course, we should obey his word. But ultimately, no matter how well we do, it does not merit. It's not because of our righteousness or even our obedience that we have access to the promises of God. It's because of what Jesus did. So in his authority. All right, Jesus is speaking about leaving the earth, and he's saying, ultimately, there's, you're going to ask. Uh, that day, you're not going to ask me anything because I'm no longer going to be with you. So what does he say? He said, whatever you ask the Father, you're going to pray to the Father. You're not going to come to me and say, Jesus, Jesus, like when he was on the earth with him. But you're going to ask the Father, but in what? In my name. Guys, you think God answers prayer. No, God doesn't answer prayer. God answers certain types of prayer. Certain prayers, not all prayers. We have to learn how to pray according to the way Jesus instructed us. If we don't pray according to the way Jesus instructed us, we're not going to experience the answers. It's very simple. And so if we don't know what the Word says, we can't pray with confidence and assurance. Okay? So this is really important. So Jesus tells us, you're going to pray to the Father, but you're going to do it in my name. All right. The greatest revelation that Jesus came, um, that he demonstrated, that he made known to people was that of the Father. There's nothing that even compares. So you're going you're gonna to pray to my father in my name. And whatever you ask him, he's going to give you. And then he says in verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. God wants to answer our prayers. And he says, so ask. And what? So that your joy may be full. That's amazing. Right? Okay. So, there are, I've listed at least three reasons why, in spite of the fact that God is very clear that he wants to answer our prayers, that he wants to cause us to walk in the fulfillment of, in the fullness of his promises in his word, there are at least three reasons why we do not experience these prophetic breakthroughs. Number one is spiritual ignorance. There's a typo there. It says two reasons, should be three. Number one is spiritual ignorance. Our premise is flawed. What do I mean by that? We're ignorant of God's word. We don't know how to pray. 
We don't pray according to what God's instructions are. Okay? We ask for something that's not as well. Okay? So we can only pray with confidence when we know we're petitioning and believing for God's will, and we're praying in the authority and in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? 1 John chapter 5, verse number 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Confidence, assurance. Do you actually believe when you ask God for something that it's going to happen? Maybe there's some things you don't pray for because you think it's just too outlandish, it's too out there, it's too big. Perhaps that, or maybe there's some things you don't pray for because you feel like it's too trivial, it's too petty. Why, why would God answer that? God's not concerned about those little things. Have you ever had that happen? I've had it where I've prayed for, obviously, being in ministry for 30 years or more than 30 years now, I've prayed for thousands of people. And there's sometimes somebody will come up and they'll say, hey, can you pray for my husband? Can you pray for my kid, my son, my daughter, whatever? And I start to do that. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, they have a need, and sometimes he even tells you what that need is. And so you speak it out. You say, so what about you? You have a, you know, a condition in your spine, in your back, for example. Yeah, I do. How do you know that? Well, who do you think? So, and then what do you say? Yeah, well, yeah, well, let me pray for you. Oh, that's okay. It's not a big deal. It's just like it doesn't bother me all the time, just when the weather's bad, right? Well, do you think that God doesn't care for that? Come on, God cares for all the things that we're going through. The big things, the things that we think are insignificant and unimportant, he cares for it. Because he's God, he's good. He's transcendent, but he's also eminent. And those are two theological words that mean transcendent. He's big. He fills the universe. He can do anything. Nothing's too difficult for him. Nothing's impossible. Eminent means nothing escapes his care. He says the hairs on our head, if you have any, are numbered. If you don't have them, he still knows how many you had, and he knows how many you lost and, and in a year, in a month, whatever a day. So the bottom line is he cares and he knows. He loves his people. He loves everybody, right? So he cares. So, but we got to ask according to his will. We have to ask with confidence. I know it's God's will because he's good. And when we understand his character... We're going to ask for the right things, okay? God's not a child abuser. He's Father God, not the Godfather. Right? He's not like, hey, I'm going to make an offer you can't refuse. If you don't serve me, I'll break your legs. No, that's not him. That's not God. A lot of people think it is. Well, this terrible thing happened to me because... Sorry, guys. Jesus took the punishment... So you wouldn't have to go through hell. He took it, okay? So just receive it. It's a gift of grace. The fact that you're still alive is an opportunity to come to the Father. No matter how long you've ran from him, no matter how much you, how rebellious you've been or whatever, the fact that you're alive, he's given you breath, he's given you the opportunity to make a choice to come to him. He's not angry at you. He loves you. He's, he's saddened by the choices we make that destroy our lives. Okay. So the second thing is spiritual sickness. 
<clears throat> oh, by the way, going back to that first part, spiritual ignorance. So what, what is the answer? The answer is we must seek out the counsel of God. Oh, there was supposed to be a scripture there. That's what happens when you work on something at 2 in the morning. We must seek out the counsel of God. So what is God saying? You need, you need to know my will. It says in Ephesians 5, know the will of the Lord. Find out what pleases him. Those are two different verses in the same chapter. Find out what pleases him. Know the will of God. All right. Spiritual sickness. What is that? So that means praying with impure motives. James chapter 4, verse 3 in the Passion Translation. And if you ask, you won't receive it, for you're asking with corrupt motives. The term corrupt motives is kekos and can be translated sick or sickly. James is exhorting us not to pray sickly prayers. You're praying for it, but you got the wrong motive. It's like, hey, God, give me this so I can do what I want. And, you know, it's not for his glory. It's not going to be a life that's honoring him. You're just asking God to bless you. You know, it's crazy. Look Look at this thing with Kanye West. Do you see what's going on right now? I mean, the guy was blasphemed the name of Jesus. And now he said, I'm not going to make any more secular music. I'm just going to do Christian gospel music. And recently, in the places he's been going, he's just been very clear. He said, there's no other name. He's saying this publicly, guys. There's no other name, the name of Jesus. Okay? So maybe the Kardashians are going to get saved next. Right? I'm telling you guys, God's working. And this guy is just broke off. He lost millions and millions to get out of his contracts because he said, I'm not going to do secular music anymore. I'm just going to do gospel music. And what happened? He had an encounter with God. And he realized that Jesus is the only way, only Jesus. And this is, this is, and it's happening more and more. more. We're hearing more and more people coming back to Christ, coming to the Lord. So we got a lot of this going on, though, out in the entertainment. And, in the, you know, you got people, they stand up to get an award or whatever. And they say, I thank God. And then you look at their lifestyle and you're like, you don't even know God. Like you blaspheme God in your music and your talk. You don't even know God, and here you are thanking God, right? That's the type of stuff that God says, hey, I'm not going to answer you. I'm not going to listen to you. The only prayer God guarantees to listen to in that context, in that person's life, is a prayer of genuine repentance and salvation. So, crying out. So, but don't ask with selfish motives. We talked about this recently, how even the children of Israel, the remnant in the land after the captivity came to Jeremiah asking for God's will, but deep down in their hearts, they didn't want God's will. They wanted Jeremiah to give them an answer that pleased them, that was according to their agenda. So they wanted God to rubber stamp their plans. All right, thirdly, um, spiritual resistance. Sometimes the answers to our prayers don't happen because of spiritual resistance. What do I mean by that? Well, if God has called you to do something, you will encounter significant resistance from the enemy, the devil. Okay, First Thessalonians 2.18, Therefore, Paul said, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. The enemy will try to hinder you. He'll try to block you. All right, so, in nevertheless, okay, so what's the answer? How do we get past all this? How do we overcome these challenges so that we can experience breakthrough and answers to our prayer? And what I'm talking about is waging war with prophetic 
promises, waging war with prophetic promises. Okay, <clears throat> look at this verse again, 1 Timothy 1.18. We read it in the King James. I'm going to read it in what's called the um, Authorized Standard Version, and the author- American Standard Version, sorry. The American Standard Version is, says this, This charge I commit unto thee, my child Timothy, look at this, according to the prophecies which led the way to thee, that by them thou mayest war the good warfare. Okay. There's this phrase here. And this phrase, which led the way to thee, in the King James, is translated, which went before on thee. And in other translations, it's even different. It talks about the, the, the prophecies that were previously made concerning you, I believe is what the New, American, the New International says. So it's translated different ways. But what does it mean? Okay. So the word in the Greek language is proago. Okay. And proago literally means to go in front of and lead forward, to lead forth magisterially, that is, with authority to execute justice. So a true word of prophecy is God sanctioning and authorizing his children to go to war. So the first blank there is prophetic sanctioning, prophetic sanctioning. Now, it's interesting when you look at the three keys here that we're going to study tonight, that these three principles, these three elements are actually the same elements you need to win a war in the natural. Okay? The first thing, if you're going to go to war, you've got to be sanctioned. There's got to be sanctioning. We've seen it happen where a president pulls troops out of a nation, like today or yesterday. Okay? So now Turkey's invading Syria. They're trying to create this buffer zone. <clears throat> so what happens is in this whole thing, there's got to be sanctioning. So what I mean by that is you go to war, but you've not been empowered. You don't have the backing of the government. I don't care if you are the you know, the, the most um, powerful, the most astute military person in the world, if you don't have the sanctioning of your government behind you, the backing of the president, okay, you're going to war, but you don't have a, this. You, you may have power. You may have weapons. You might be able to call in some, some fighter jets. But the bottom line is you don't have authority. This is all about authority. Okay, we're going to look at power in a minute. There's a difference between power and authority. You can have a gun, and that's powerful, but that doesn't mean you have authority. Uh, uh, someone in the military or a police officer, the, the, the symbol of his authority is not his gun, it's his badge. There's a big difference. That badge says, hey, whether he has a more powerful weapon than you do or not, the bottom line is that badge says he has been sanctioned. He's been authorized by the city, by the county, by whatever, the state, to do his job. So he has the backing and the resources of that uh, element of government behind him. Does that make sense? Okay, two people, it makes sense? 
Okay? There's some good YouTube videos you can watch on this if you want to study it further. I'll give you the links. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so do you understand the difference between... That was funny, guys. Okay? Uh, there's a difference between authority and power. In other words, there's some battles... Some things we're saying, I'm going to go after this in the spirit. I'm going to go after this in prayer. I'm going to go after this. And God's like, no, you're not. It's not my will. That's not my plan. Leave that alone. So we go after things that are not, we've not been sanctioned by God to do it. And we don't have his backing. There's so many stories in the Bible that talk about this, right? The prophet that goes somewhere and God told him not to go there. Hey, that didn't turn out too good. He got eaten up by a lion. Right? So the point is, he wasn't sanctioned. He wasn't authorized to do it. And so the first thing that we have to recognize is that a prophetic word, which is a true word from God, authorizes us to enter the battle. So we're saying, God, I've got this problem right now. I've got this challenge right now. What do I do about it? Think about the story in David in 1 Samuel 30, where David returns to Ziklag with his mighty men. The city's been burned down. Uh, all of his property and their, their families have been taken captive and their property looted. And what does David do? He inquires of the Lord. Shall I go after the Amalekites? Shall I pursue? And the Lord says, yeah, pursue. For you will surely overtake them and you will recover all. At that moment, he has sanctioned by God to go after it. So when you're in a situation and you go, I don't know what to do about this, you need to hear from God. You need to pray. You need to fast. You need to get alone. You need to hear God and get a word from God. What are you saying about this, Lord? What do you want to do in this situation? And God speaks to you, and he says, this is what I want you to do. Now you have the sanctioning and the authority of the kingdom of God behind you so you can pursue it and you can go after it in prayer. You can declare it. You can decree it. You can go into a deep place of intercession. You can whatever you have to do to see that thing take uh, come to pass in your life. But don't go after something that's not, God's not authorized you to pursue it, to go after it. Don't choose your battles wisely. Make sure that you're fighting a fight that God wants you to be in, not something else. So the second thing is prophetic strength. Now we're talking about power. If you're going to go into battle, if you're going to wage a military campaign against another nation, an enemy, you need to have sanctioning. You need to be authorized. But secondly, you need superior, superior weaponry. You need strength. You need to be able to, to, you need to be stronger than your enemy, more powerful. So what are we talking about prophetic strength? Well, a true word of prophecy not only authorizes but empowers. It empowers us for warfare. In this same verse, notice what it says. It says, according to the prophecies which led the way. In other words, these prophecies went before you, Timothy. And when you look at what it says, let me, let me read this to you in the Passion Translation for a moment. Timothy, when he was ordained to ministry, it's really interesting. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I believe it's verse 14. So here's Timothy. 
God had called him to preach the gospel, to be a minister. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14 says this in the Passion Translation. 1 Timothy 4, 14. Don't minimize the powerful gift that operates in your life. Paul's saying this to Timothy. For it was imparted to you by the laying on of the hands of the elders or the presbyters, and it was activated through the prophecy they spoke over you. Isn't that something? Okay, so Timothy, when you were ordained for ministry, there, what happened was the elders gathered around you, they laid hands on you, okay? And when they laid hands on you, there was a gift that was imparted to you. And then they prophesied, they spoke over you, and the Bible says that it was activated, the gift, his destiny, his calling, the things were activated through the prophetic word. Wow. You know how many times I have seen God do something? I'll give you an illustration. So just before we moved here, I can give you many stories like this, but this one is the most relevant one. Just before we moved here, we're in Australia. There's a couple. They've been in our church for a few years, over three years. They were struggling. He couldn't get a job. They, they were from South Africa originally, and they um, fled out of safety, and, and um, they were trying to settle in Australia, and the government wasn't approving their immigration. It was pretty tough. They were struggling financially, and he tried, and they tried and tried to get a job, couldn't get a job, didn't work out. And they literally would go, they were house-sitting. That's all they did. They'd go somewhere for a week, somewhere for two months, move from house to house to house. They did that for, like, over two years, just constantly, like vagabonds. And what ends up happening is we had prayed so many times for them. We prayed with them. We prayed in prayer meetings. We prayed for them. And... One Sunday morning, here we are, we're worshiping God. I see them, and the Lord says to me, tell them that it's time for them to be established, that they're going to settle now, and that it's done. So I walk up to them in the, middle, in the service, and I just spoke that word over them. I just said, God says to you guys, it's time, no more wandering, no more, uh, you know, being, being nomads. You're, you're going to settle and God's going to establish you. You're gonna, things are going to turn around financially. You're going to have income. You're going to have resources. You're going you're to have security, and you're going to be established. I spoke that over them. They looked at me. I gave them a scripture. They looked at me. And the next week, guess what happened? No, he didn't. Things got worse, like really bad. And they began to say, what? Was that God? Like, why would God say a word and then it doesn't come to pass? I'll tell you why. I'm not finished the story. I'll tell you why God would say a word and then it doesn't come to pass immediately. I'm going to read something to you from Psalms 105. How many know that Joseph had a word from God? Right? 
Remember the vision when he was a kid? All the sheaves bowing down to him, right? Probably shouldn't have shared it, got him in a lot of trouble. Just goes to show you don't share every prophetic word God gives you or every dream or vision you have. You don't share it with everyone, okay? So, Psalm 105, verse 19 in the New Living. Listen to this. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Do you know what it actually says in the Hebrew? In the Hebrew, it says this. Until the time that his word came to pass, the Lord tested the word. The Lord tested the word and tested him. Like Abraham, he had this word, didn't come to pass, so he had to believe. Are you going to believe? The Bible says that he was fully convinced. He was fully persuaded that God could do what he promised. And so the point is, when you hear from God and you go, oh, this is going to come to pass, it's going to happen immediately, but in the natural it didn't. But on the second week, he got a phone call, and he got offered a job. And overnight, it was a high-paying job, and overnight, they went from being nomads and not having uh, enough money to having a great amount of money, and they were established, had a a good job and, and, and a house and everything in the second week. But the first week, God tested them. Are you going to believe my word? Are you going to really believe my word? Or are you going to just go, well, I knew that wasn't of God. And then you walk away and God's like, oh, you have a lot of faith, don't you? Listen, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested. Are you going to believe the promise? You're going to give up. You're going to be tested. So when God speaks over your life, he act, what ends up happening is there's an impartation prophetically, but it's, there's an impartation, but it's activated through prophecy. And so what does he tell Timothy to do? Timothy, remember those promises. Remember what God spoke over your life. He's talking to him specifically about those promises um, when he was ordained. Okay, Timothy, you, got, you have a destiny, you have a calling. God wants you to see it fulfilled, but are you going to fight for it? Are you going to wage war for those promises to come to pass? And so in the Greek language, it actually says that by those promises, it actually says this, that the promises which went before you, that by them, by them, you might war a good warfare. In the Greek language, it literally means in them. And it can also mean that you would be arrayed by them. So the idea is simply this, that you are arrayed in them or you are armed with them. The prophetic promises become your weapon. The promise of God becomes your weapon. Look at the Passion Translation here in your notes. With this encouragement, use your prophecy as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. So use your prophetic promises as weapons. As I mentioned earlier, and I'm referring to the first part, prophetic sanctioning. J.B. Phillips says the prophecies made at your ordination 
J.B. Phillips says, those prophecies sent you out to battle. Wow, isn't that something? The prophecies are your commissioning. The prophecies are what you send you out to battle. So God says, okay, here's what I want to do. Fight for it. Go after it. You got to fight for it. You got to contend. We have a fat, lazy culture. Sorry. When it comes to spiritual things, other ways too. But when it comes to spiritual things, we want panacea. We want quick fix, cure all. We want God just to like give it to us on a, you know, on a, gold, on a silver platter, everything. And we've lost the art of engaging in spiritual warfare and in interceding and in getting before God and pouring out our hearts and praying like Colossians 4.12 says of Epaphras. He labored fervently for you in his prayers. The word labored fervently is agonizomai in Greek, which means agonize. This guy, Epaphras, agonized for people that they would stand firm in God's will. We need people that will contend in prayer. Honestly, there's some battles we're not going to see the victory until we learn how to intercede, until we go into warfare for it. So if God wants to do it, he's going to do it. No, he won't. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God says, I want to do it. Go after it. How badly do you want it? Do you want it? Then you have to go after it. You have to seek me. The prophecy becomes our armor and our weaponry. Thirdly, prophetic strategy. Prophetic strategy. Not only do you need sanctioning, not only do you need superiority and power, but you need strategy. You need a battle plan, right? You just don't go to war. Okay, well, hey, what are we going to do? I don't know. What do you think? Uh, no, you have to draw up a plan. You have to have a plan. God is so into process. And you guys have heard me say this. For every, prom- for every problem, there's a promise. Tonight, think about that. What problem do you have? What promise does God have to meet that? You got to find it. You got to get it. It's in the word. You got to hear from him. But then for every promise, there's a process. It's interesting. The word that is translated war, a good warfare, or wage, a good warfare, depending on what version you refer to, literally means to wage a military campaign. It literally means that God wants to give us a strategy not only to win the battle, but to win and complete the war, to come out in the war favorably, to win the war. So in the Passion Translation, the same Greek word in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, is translated to wage a military campaign. Strateia means to wage a military campaign, not just to go to a battle, but to wage a campaign, to have a strategy, in other words. Can you even see the word? We get our English word in part for strategy comes from that, to have a strategy. What's your strategy to overcome the challenges you're facing? What's your strategy to see God's promises fulfilled? When I read the Bible and I see what happens in the book of Acts, when I see the miracles, when I see people healed and delivered, and I see thousands of people coming into the kingdom of God, I can read that and say, like, God was in a good mood back in those days. Or, or God doesn't do that anymore today for whatever reason. Or I could say, oh, it's too hard. Or I can say, God wants to do it today, 
But what is the process? What's the strategy? If I want to see this come to pass in my life, if I want to see it in my ministry, if I want to see it in my family, in my business, whatever it is, what's the strategy? You need to hear from God. What's the strategy? What's the plan? God, give me a plan. Let me close with this. The actual meaning of the word is this. The word strategy speaks of a process in the Greek language. And what he's saying is that these prophetic words are in a process of coming to pass in your life. You can actually read this in some of the translations. There's a process of seeing them come to pass. Okay? It's not just like, boom, it's done. But there's a process. And there's sometimes we have to go from one place where we engage in a battle and we learn and we hear what God is trying to say to us and we get a hold of the promise. And then what do we do? Now that we have the promise, the sanction, and we know what God is saying, then we begin to fight. We take on this prophetic word. It becomes our power. It becomes our strength. It becomes our armor. And we get a hold of that. And it's like the sword of the spirit. And we begin to engage in battle. And then we understand what God is saying. There's a process. This is a process. I'm going to lead you through the process so that these things will come to pass in your life. Whatever it is, there's steps that we have to take. There's steps. We want to move from the place of prophecy to promise. But we have to recognize it's prophecy, process, promise. Does that make sense? Prophecy, boom. There's the promise. Here's the process. Prophecy happened in Egypt. You're my people. I'm going to set you free. I'm going to take you into the promised land. You'll you'll be liberated from Pharaoh. Promise was the promised land. I'll take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I'll bless you. I'll prosper you. But then there's a process. What was the process? It was called the wilderness. The wilderness is where they were tested. The wilderness is where they had to learn to depend on God and trust God. Are we good? Or are we hungry for God? I'm good. Everything's good. Everything's great in my life. No, it's not. Until the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea, we've got stuff to do. Well, hey, I got a good life. So what? Good for you. But I bet you, even with that mindset, deep down within, there's a void in your life. I don't care how much money you have, how powerful, prestigious you are in life. Deep down with said, there's something empty. There's something missing. There's something broken in your life. And until you come to Christ, it'll never be fulfilled. You know, sometimes people say, well, people, people in Frisco, you know, they're so complacent because they're comfortable. Yes? But guess what? They go to bed at night. They wake up. They got challenges. They got struggles. They got problems in their marriage. They got problems with their kids. They got problems inside, within. Some of them are thinking about suicide. Some of them are messed up. They have things that are going on. They have these secrets and things they do beyond closed doors. And the bottom line is they're messed up. They're hurting inside. They're dying inside. And all what they have isn't helping. It's not fixing that. So it's the Holy Spirit. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives, makes whole. And then God can take you and use you. Use your position. Use your, use your wealth. Use whatever it is that you have. God can use it for his glory. Amen. Let's stand together, please.
I told uh, Sarah we're going to be later, to go a little late tonight, so don't worry about it. If you want to go home, you're welcome to go home. But I want to pray with people tonight because I really believe God is saying we've got to break through some stuff, guys. The greatest enemy, the area that is hindering us the most from seeing people come to Christ, for seeing revival, seeing our prayers answered, seeing God rescue our families, whatever it is, is complacency. It's complacency. I'm good. How much time are we praying and seeking God? God, give me a word. What do you want to do? What do you want to do in Frisco, God? What do you want to do here? Show me what you want to happen here. We're too busy, man. We can't even ask the question. We don't even ask the question because we're so consumed with other things. God says, I want to speak to my children. I want to show you my plan. I want to show you. When you look at people, when you walk down the street and you see the emptiness and you see they're lost without Christ, it should break our hearts. It should cause us to say, there's something that God wants to do. God, what do you want to do? I know you want to do something here. Lord, use me. Give me a strategy. Show me what you want me to do. We go to war. What about the promises in your own life? Are you believing God to bring them to pass? When you read the scripture, maybe you've received promises from years ago. Are you contending for them to come to pass? Don't give up. Don't be, you know, resign yourself. But come on, let's begin to believe again. Let's begin to dream again. Let's begin to believe that God was going to resurrect those dreams one more time so that we can see what he wants to do come to pass in our lives. Because he loves us, guys. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have that relationship that he died. He sent his son to the cross for so that we could know the father. And this is eternal life, Jesus said in John 17, 3, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life isn't just, hey, when I die, I'm good. I've got fire insurance. Eternal life is knowing God here, now. That's what it is.